On this week's episode of Resi Week, we talk about Samsung CEO possibly getting arrested. In other CEO news, Sonos's founder is stepping down. HDMI 2.1 and what that means for you. Sharp is launching some new displays with their partnership with Foxconn at ISC, and they're kind of cool. All that and more on this week's episode of Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. Resi Week episode 50, HDMI's future. This week's episode of Resi Week is brought to you by Middle Atlantic. This is Resi Week. Welcome to this episode of Resi Week. I'm your host, Matt D. Scott for avnation.tv. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by Jeremy Gulwaki. He is the editor of Residential Systems. How are you, sir? Doing well. Thank you for having me again. It's Thanks, a sir. day off here in the, uh, the USA, oh, yeah. Martin Luther King Day. So I've been out with the kids a little bit this morning. I forgot about that. That would explain yeah. why everyone's around. <laughs> <laughs> Then we have my good buddy, Todd Anthony Puma. He is the owner and founder of The Source Home Theater in New York City. How you doing, bud? Doing well, man. Thank you again for having me on as well. Hey, thanks for being here. Thanks for taking time out of your day off. Hey, no problem at all. That's fantastic. All right, gentlemen, let's, let's jump right in. Uh, this broke early this morning. This comes to us from the New York Times, uh, and this is not your typical AV story that we cover, but it's definitely connected into the industry. There is a move to arrest the leader of Samsung. Uh, this is coming down uh, from Hong Kong that uh, Lee Jae-young uh, is the, he's the third generation of the Lee family to lead Samsung and he is uh, being investigated, and it looks like they are calling for his arrest uh, from an, inv- uh, an investigation on a corruption scandal uh, invol- involving the president of South Korea, etc. Gentlemen, obviously this isn't going to have instantaneous effects on our side of the industry, but are there any far-reaching concerns that this raises for us as kind of an industry as a whole, when we see something like this going down and and questions of Samsung's transparency and how uh, the company in general can respond to this uh, to appease their shareholders. This things like this are going to happen, you know, words going to get around, but it's not going to affect the quality of product that they build and the reputation they built for, you know, televisions, iPod, I'm sorry, not iPods, Android devices, Samsung devices. And they had a little bit of a rough year with the exploding uh, Galaxy 7s. But overall, they've been pretty much since the days I was working at Best Buy 12, 13 years ago, Samsung started their reputation and really took a big staple into this industry. Uh, Not speaking about the political end, just speaking on what they have done and what they would continuously keep doing. Uh, It's about the product and about the brands. It's not about the individual. And don't don't forget, this is the company that purchased um, Harman this year as well. So they're uh, they've got a bigger stake in in the audio business as well, and the automotive uh, audio side as well with Harman. Um, and uh, they've said they're going to pretty much 
let Harmon do their thing, but uh, that remains to be seen fairly early. Now at, at CES, it was definitely Harmon as you, as you know them, uh, with no Samsung presence to be felt, um, other than their, I think, CEO was there um, at the Harmon booth when I was there. And, um, you know, that was about the only hint of any of their involvement so far, but definitely a big player in this, this industry, whether it's video or uh, now with the, the high-end audio side as well. Yeah, this kind of just caps off the start of what was obviously the, the new year, but the end of a fairly bad year for, for Samsung with not only the, the note issues, as, as you mentioned, Todd, um, but also some washing machines that were having issues and just all, all kinds of ridiculous stuff uh, on the, the opposite end of obviously their Herman acquisition. So something definitely to keep a, keep an eye on. Moving on from that uplifting story of CEOs getting arrested, uh, let's let's move on to another story about a CEO, uh, this time on a completely different spin. This comes to us from Residential Systems. Uh, John McFarlane, who is the uh, CEO of Sonos, is stepping down. He is going to uh, stay, with, stay with Sonos and kind of become a, uh, not a, not a catch-all, but someone who's still involved in the day-to-day, but he is passing the torch over to the current COO, Patrick Spence. Gentlemen, does this, uh, you know, and, and when you read through the article, you, you can see how they're, they're viewing this as not necessarily uh, a negative in any way, shape, or form, but allowing Sonos to continue to grow and to continue to move forward. Todd, do you see this, obviously it's a good thing, um, but do you see this having any major change going forward? What I see here is that he's giving someone the opportunity um, to pretty much grow the company because you could only go so far with your ideas and you know taking the day-to-day end of the business. Um, what I think is great is he's staying with the company, so he's still going to be there as an advisor. He's going to be obviously growing the company. Sonos in the last year has made so many great moves with just partnering with multiple brands, um, building their Sonos store in New York City, and their growth has been actually is been phenomenal. And you know, I only see great things happening with Sonos. I would have never said that about a year ago, and you know, I take back my words because Sonos is doing a great job, and they're actually building. Uh, awareness in our industry with all the home automation products that they're integrating with. Very good. Jeremy, as you know, you're, uh, as Matt wrote in the article here, uh, one of the quotes from McFarlane was that Patrick demonstrated his leadership most recently with Sonos' success during the holiday period. And full disclosure, I'm a Sonos dealer. And this was the first time that I remember of Sonos actually running promotion specifically with integrators and other retailers for, for that matter. How much of this moving forward is, is their understanding that not just going their own way, which has always been the way of Sonos, but, but making it, uh, you know, offering incentives and, and doing, doing discount deals and, and stuff like that to further push that market envelope uh, is contributing to this change. Well, I mean, I think, my observation has been this is one of those few, very, very few success stories of a product that really began in the custom channel, um, went mainstream and went big mainstream, was successful. I mean, there's so many 
automation chance, you know, remote control companies, automation companies that try to dabble in uh, consumer and just can't really pull it off. Um, this company was kind of behind the scenes for a long time when wireless was not accepted as uh, acceptable. Um, they made it happen and became a brand name in the mainstream. And I think that uh, sure they did it kind of with an Apple attitude there for a while, um, very closed off and uh, you know, had a, had rules to, to play by. And I, but I do think, you know, th the name recognition really has been a benefit to the industry. We've had to learn how to play nice with Sonos, but um, they're, they're probably feeling, hearing footsteps a little bit as well from Amazon with, with the echo um, and having to deal with a lot of the voice stuff and them not just being the end all be all solution now that you've got to be able to play with others um, who are even more well known as a brand than you are um, in the mainstream in this automation space. Um, so I think that they probably were stepping up their game a little bit for that reason during the holidays and this um, CEO, you know, he, he's the guy that's been there since the beginning for 15 years. He probably has just kind of done his job. He's ready to kind of step aside. I mean, it happens to the best of us. And, uh, and I, I hope that the, uh, the energy of that company remains the same with his, with his successor and that his involvement remains close because you see it with a lot of these big brands. I mean, one that comes to mind is Starbucks. It's a little off the beaten path for this discussion, but he, the CEO steps aside, it loses kind of direction a little bit. Some of that brand identity slips and then he kind of has to step back in. Um, Apple has been able to somewhat maintain its pedigree with, you know, succession there, but maybe not quite the same passion and, you know, glamor that it had before with Steve Jobs. Again, random examples just with leadership changes, you never know. This guy wasn't a high profile personality though, so. Right. Um, Perhaps it won't be the same. What, what about Savant? Like right now, would they basically, the CEO just step back in? Exactly, right good after, example. Right after yep. their changes that they've been moving. So I'm yeah. curious about that as well. Is it usually it's a good move? It can be a good move. Everything but the Steve Jobs story when he was alive, it seemed like there was no good moves in Apple until he came back. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting to note that because he's planning to stay actively involved and actively uh, a part of the company opposed to so often you hear about the the you know the visionary ceo who leaves and does not stay involved he he goes off to a caribbean island and he's playing poker or whatever heck you know they do this looks like a situation where he's planning to stay involved uh but but maybe trying to offload some of the day-to-day -day stress and 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 day-to-day -day moving of the company uh and focusing on you know again just just how they can make the product better so It'll be interesting to watch. Let's move on from there uh, to a story that comes to us from CNET. And uh, this is actually from a, a friend of mine, Jeffrey Morrison. You probably know him on Twitter as Tech Writer Jeff. Uh, he's a great guy and one of the one of the writers at CNET that I, I actually like. Um, which sounds <laughs> really, I'm sorry. It's come on. You don't need a screen for your projector. Those guys, nothing. Jeffrey, good people. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I should tweet him that and tell him that. Uh, anyways, this is a very well-written uh, overview of HDMI 2.1. If you haven't heard, there are new specs coming down the pipe for HDMI that will 
uh, start to be available most likely in 2018 before you actually see 2.1. Currently, everything tops out at 2.0. The interesting part of this story, and, and for people who don't follow uh, the HDMI specs as closely as maybe others, is like in the past, 2.1 is going to bring uh, speed bumps and resolution bumps and frame rate bumps and all that fun stuff. Uh, but almost none of the the advancements will likely be available on any other product uh, coming by 2018. We're talking 8K, which no one has really shown uh, a device that's capable of doing that, that's ready for sale, ready for market. Uh, you're also seeing with this, with this spec bump, things like uh, dynamic uh, HDR, as well as uh, a couple other things like the e, uh, eARC, which is the new evolution of audio return channel. Jeremy, it, obviously articles like this are very helpful for people to understand what these spec jumps mean because not only is it written, but he's explaining what a lot of these things do because uh, a lot of us don't spend that much time looking at it. Because 2.1, uh, and, and again, this has happened in the past, but because specifically 2.1 has a bunch of stuff that is going to be available, it's literally a, a future-proof uh, cable, or, or not, not cable, but uh, spec. Is this something that we need to be concerned about yet, or should we not be concerned until some of these products actually start to ship? Yeah, well, Jeff did a great job of addressing this for the consumer, which um, is his audience typically, the, the um, you know, great hobbyist consumer. And I would say that the point that he was making for consumers is that they should not worry about buying products uh, and finding it obsolete right away. This is more, more than two years out before anything starts to come to market, whether it's the cables themselves or the products that the cables go into, the TVs and the boxes and everything. So um, I think that uh, it, it's giving the manufacturers a, a big head start on planning, I guess, for what they can do going forward with their products, um, which is probably a good thing. It's not going to um, be a surprise. I think one, one of the surprises that I read about with this was just how quickly they came, went from 2.0 to 2.1. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that sort of was, was um, startling to some industry people in the know. Um, but even when this does come out, the application for it might be very limited from a consumer standpoint. Um, it's like the resolutions we're talking about, it's almost better if you're thinking about a monitor, if you're gonna be up close to it, it's actually on your desktop, you're gonna see the resolution when you're right on top of it, but you're not gonna be viewing something close enough in, in a you know entertainment capacity to where you can actually see that, that, that fine detail. Um, it did seem like it was um, just really pushing the, the envelope out there for the opportunities that, that um, maybe from a professional uh, side of things, commercial side of things and uh, different other uh, applications. My, you know, actually uh, Todd might have a better idea as far as his experience with HDMI and, and the limitations there. I love the handoff, Jeremy. Thank you for that one. <laughs> that was a perfect handoff. Um, what I'm going to go with is I'm going to talk more about the 1.4 to 2.0, how that was a shock to us. Um, we didn't know that there was going to be a chip, uh, chip set change 
for devices like matrix switchers or televisions, we were telling the customers that TVs were 4K and technically they weren't. And all the chipsets that we purchased once 4K TVs went live with the manufacturers that I offer, um, it was a little bit of like, it, it was, it, to me, it was shock. And with this new toy 2.1, I feel like we're kind of getting handed uh, a little bit of time. We're getting an understanding where they're going to be going with the resolution. Our customers are going to be aware, which we can use this article, and I'm going to use this article as a tool, because we want to give our customers education. We want them to understand what we're offering them. And if we're going to future-proof the clients, we want them to understand that what they're purchasing is going to be future-proof for two years. Um, with the 2.1 spec, you know, is it great? We're going to have more bandwidth? Absolutely. We're going to be passing through. Everything now is getting to the point where the resolution is skyrocketing. We're going from, what was it, 4K, then they say 5K, 6K, you know, 8K, and it's a 10K. Um, so they really are planning ahead because we haven't even did 4K right at this point. And we're already jumping to 8K, which I understand it's a TV-driven market where it is more consumer-based and we have to keep moving. You know, Todd, as you're looking at, you know, designing something for a client and going through this conversation with a client, is this something where you're actively going to consider pushing a 2.1 spec build or realizing that due to resolution, or sorry, resolution limitations and how effective they can be, say, in a theater space or a master bedroom where you don't need 8K quality, is this something where you're more apt to design a traditional deployment and use these type of, of devices or specs for the foreseeable future um, in applications only where they make sense. Yes, 100%. It's based on the application. It's based on the, um, the job that we're doing in the state that we're doing. Um, if a customer has a larger home and a larger system, we want to plan for their future. We want to plan to make sure that this works and it's ready. Now, what you're stating with room by room applications, you know, in our case, we design most systems with scalers behind the TVs. Um, so if the television is not a 4K TV or whatever it may be, and it's a lower resolution television, we plan to upscale. Uh, but this is gonna be a case by case um, on each project and every job that we're doing. Am I gonna be going right out right now and start specking it? No. Am I gonna plan in the future? Time will tell. Very good. All right, gentlemen, let's move on to an article that comes to us from The Daily uh, and international, or Installation International. Uh, at ISC 2017, which is really right around the corner, Sharp is planning to launch uh, their first new displays since going into a partnership with Foxconn. Uh, they're going to introduce a couple of displays, uh, primarily a 80-inch big pad, uh, and a 70-inch video wall at the show. This is part of their residential, um, or I'm sorry, residential slash commercial uh, partnership. And we're looking at finally seeing some of the, the new stuff that's developing out of this relationship. Is this, obviously it, it's great to see Sharp back in the, you know, kind of the display game after being out for a little while. Is this something that we're excited to see, Todd, from a from an installation standpoint? Uh, for the residential market speaking? Yeah. I, I This was a hard story for me. Um, residentially speaking, with the touch screen televisions that they have, that's great for the in-home office um, and will be a tool that our customers will use. Again, it's a case-by-case -case study with that. 
Um, everything else I can't see personally at this point uh, by having a little time to research this and go over it, um, that this would be an application that we're excited for and we'll use in the residential home. Now, if this becomes a precursor to them getting back into uh, a full line of residential products, that should bode well, correct? Oh, absolutely. We need more manufacturers out there. You know, pretty much right now, it's just Samsung and Sony holding my New York market that customers are asking for. Very good. Jeremy, with them coming back into the market, and again, primarily showing uh, from this article some, some commercial products, what does this mean for the general landscape? Is this something that is going to be kind of overlooked because strictly thinking in the, in the residential space, because they're currently talking about just showing commercial panels, uh, are people going to start thinking about them again for residential, knowing that they will probably start to show some residential panels as well? Yeah, I don't think that this is going to be noticed by the general public. Um, and until they have a residential plan in place with uh, distributors and that sort of thing, I, 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 it remains to be seen. Uh, I think it's, again, like what Todd said, it's great to see more um, brands and perhaps in the space again. Um, I, I think this is a strong start in the commercial space. And, you know, I'd love to hear from you guys who are going to ISC what you think of the actual product when you, when you get there. But um, huddle spaces are becoming a big, big trend and uh, are, are a big trend in the commercial uh, world in terms of office buildings. Um, open floor plan type environments uh, for, you know, kind of taking the place of conference rooms. And, uh, and the touch capability is right in the wheelhouse of this company that does the, you know, basically all the Apple products. So um, it seems like a, an obvious, you know, collusion or convergence of uh, technologies that they're able to bring into the space. Um, whether that really goes into residential, I don't know. Um, it seems like uh, that race to the bottom kind of approach of residential panels may not be a market that you just want to jump right back into, whereas commercial, there might be a, a, a different kind of a play there that they're looking at. So it may not go residential. It's hard, I, That's true. I, it's hard to say. say. Now, do you ever see a, a time when we start to actively potentially see touch displays of this size going into residential spaces and get into that whole, uh, whether it be for gaming or control or, you know, kids doing homework. Are we going to ever see this type of product like the, the big pad concept in a residential space? I, I, Matt, you actually just said something and opened my eyes that you said homework with the kids I can see that, right? Going to the parents are downstairs or upstairs and maybe they're in their home office and they don't have the time to review the homework. The, the kids, you know, basically goes and slides up the, you know, um, the homework to the TV upstairs and then he's able to check it and proofread it without having an interruption that is, you know, that noticeable to whatever his business or her business may be. I think that that would be a fantastic idea and I can see in the future this being something people want uh, trends, you know, the wow factor. Let me show you what I have and you don't have. Um, those are the good things about our industry. And that's what keeps us driven. And that's what keeps our customers wanting. 
I definitely see it as a future. I mean, any, any movie about the future, you see something like this, but you also see things that are just, you know, gesture control, which we've got a little bit of that going on with games and things too. But uh, um, I, I think that just because everything is touch, every kid that's born today, I've got um, a niece that's just turned one and all she knows is that you can swipe anything you touch. You know, you've seen those kind of videos of the kids and they, they want to swipe the book page, you know, cause they think it is like an iPad. And uh, I even, I was in a demo at CES and this guy had a, um, a MacBook pro and he kept getting himself hung up on this. He's showing me this demo and he kept swiping his, non-touch screen on his computer and I'm like dude it's a computer <laughs> not a touch screen it's not an iPad and and even somebody that's in their 40s or 50s gotten so you know swipe and touch centric with with video now maybe not in the entertainment side but just like educational and informational that I, I could see this really kind of catching on if it were available uh, in a more mainstream of course, with the high-end consumer, they'll, they'll take whatever is cool and you can apply it. You know? well, when you think about like the, the Samsung connected fridge that has that massive, almost 40-inch portrait display for writing notes and, and you know, they call it, um, I'm going to blank on it, but it, it's like a home hub concept. When you take that and, and extrapolate that into the connection to these sharp displays, you can see potentially not only having that type of display on your fridge, but also having it as your living blackboard and driving from there and getting beyond just the, you know, the Microsoft surface, uh, small desktop machine. So it's, it's interesting to see where it'll go. Graphic designers in home would love that. Oh yeah, having like an eighty-inch display that they can work on. Absolutely, Photo, uh, photographers. And the yeah. list goes on and on. Very, very good. All right, gentlemen, that uh, pretty much does it for this week. First of all, thank you guys for joining me, uh, Jeremy. Where can people connect with you? Um, on Twitter, Resi Editor, or um, via our website, which is residentialsystems.com. Beautiful. Todd, thanks so much for, for joining this week. Where can people connect with you, my friend? You can find me on Twitter at the source HCI or at Todd Anthony Puma. Also at residentialsystems.com, residentialsystems.com and the source home theater.com. Beautiful. Thanks again for, for joining us. For myself, you can find me on Twitter at Matt D. Scott and pretty much every other social platform. But more importantly, please stop by avnation.tv. You'll find this show as well as a wide variety of other shows that cover all of the uh, verticals that we cover. When you visit our site, please make sure you take a moment to check out our underwriters. You will find them uh, under the underwriter tab. And uh, you can thank them for your support by supporting them as well. That's all the time we have for this episode of Resi Week. <laughs> <laughs>